about yay short, about yay tall, about hey. so big, about so small, about this length, about this width, about, about this, this flow, about this, this gift. Instinct leading me, leading me up right up your alleyway. Get rapping is hard. Truly, rapping is hard. I don't know how the girls do it. How do the girls do it? How mulatto and them be doing it? I'm not the rapping girls. I'm the Maybach music. I am the. That's my lane, and I'm a stand it. I'm just like I'm the playlist shouty. I'm the shouty that can curate a playlist. That's it. I can't sing. I can't. <laughs> I ain't about to be hitting no notes. None of that. Okay. Welcome to Emotionally Unavailable, a wine-influenced, uncensored podcast where you're free to be you and I'm free to be me. Emotionally. These are our own and do not reflect those of our employers. Things said on this podcast are subject to change based on new and relevant information. You know what that's called? Growth. Hit me with your eyes. I ain't ever seen like I do. All right. Let's get it started. Ah, let's get it started in here. In here. In here. Um. <laughs> Hi, Toby. Hey, girl. How you doing? Good. How are you? Long time. No see. I know it's been a minute, kind of. It's been a minute (laughs) since y'all have talked to us and see us. I talk to Toby all the time. In fact, literally, we have the privilege of communicating every day. Every day. In fact, like one night, I was like on my whole team no sleep shit, and I got (laughs) caught up in one of my conspiracy (laughs) theories, and I just started texting her some shit. Just like, oh, God. (laughs) It was said, a long stream of consciousness, <laughs> and she really let me talk to myself in her inbox. <laughs> I was like, so the next morning, I went back and I read it, and I was like, yo, why do you even deal with me? Why are we friends? <laughs> it was so embarrassing. You know what? Sometimes you just got to let people rock. Obviously, you have some things to get off your chest. <laughs> And they had nothing to do with her. They were literally just random <laughs> thoughts that I have. Like, there's a whole notes app for that. Like, why the hell are you texting Toby this shit? Because most of the time, she actually obliges what the fuck I said. But that day, she said, no, no. <laughs> yourself, nigga. You gotta choose peace sometimes, aka yeah, sleep. Choose. I think we could go ahead and dive into this episode. Like, so much has yes. happened. A lot has happened. Um, We're just going to do a few highlights for just the sip. So, congratulations to Niecy Nash and Jessica Betts. What a beautiful couple. Honestly, goals. (laughs) Like, all I'm saying is do not let your husband get in the way of your wife, okay? That's it, period. They are beautiful. It was beautiful to see the pictures coming from their union. And I'm so excited for Nishi Nash because I know that she went through a lot with her trifling ex-husband. And trifling. so, like, moving forward, I'm glad that she's choosing happiness. And I'm I'm actually glad to see, like, a lot of women are beginning to embrace who they are 
in choosing happiness. And that not that's not just to say like choosing another woman, just choosing your happiness, period. Choosing to engage, not to engage, to be engaged, to not be engaged. Whatever it is that makes you happy, like I just want black women to thrive and go for it. And both of them just look so happy. So we stand. We just love it. It was just, ugh, I just can't. I'm emotional. <laughs> In other news, um, apparently Ray J filed for divorce after telling Princess that she shouldn't file for divorce. Is that how that went? Yes. So she filed for divorce. I want to say sometime either this early this year or maybe last year, she filed for divorce after citing that he was problematic. And there was this whole incident that happened in Vegas where she left him and their daughter and I guess she was pregnant at the time in a um hotel room to go somewhere else and be Ray J at this point I think that makes sense if I just say be Ray J because we all know how he is and Mm. um stemming from that she went on live and basically told us all their business that we didn't ask for and then eventually she decided she was gonna file for divorce well he wanted to quote unquote work it out with his family allegedly and got her to you know reject that claim and you know they were gonna work it out just for him to then go and file for divorce and so knowing who ray j is because i am a recovering bird and I used to watch Love and Hip Hop Hollywood like crazy. <laughs> I can almost guarantee you he did that to be petty. Like, oh, girl, you ain't about to divorce me. I'm going to divorce you. How about that? That sounds like some prenup trying to get over on her or something. You know how in some prenups people will sign in and be like, if you file for divorce first, you don't get this half of money or something like that. Right. And so in his in his um, divorce claim, he's also wanting joint custody. So, wow. Yeah. So this is going to be interesting because they do have some joint v- business ventures together. And when I say business, I'm going to use that very loosely. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm seeing an influx of things on Zeus TV that have been coming out that are very ratchet. And then it says from the executive producers of uh, Princess and Ray J. And I'm asking, like, when the okay. hell did this happen? It literally looked like they just took the blueprint that Mona Scott Young gave with Love I and Hip Hop and took it over to Zeus because they even had former cast members like Masika and Hazel are supposed to have some conversation. <laughs> and the clips that I see going around is basically Masika yelling at production because Hazel got her wig and she says she ain't coming outside until Hazel give her wig back. This is what Ray J brings oh, to the world. Oh my God. This is literally what Ray, also, what Ray though, J gives us. AirPods. Ray J AirPods. It, doesn't he make AirPods or something like that? Yeah, he makes or like a these, cell phone. Raytronics, I think, is the name of the company, but he has these yeah. like um, Beats inspired headphones and AirPods. And well, not AirPods, obviously, because that's branded by Apple, but like, you know, loosely inspired, like the great value version. And great, I want to be very clear. Great value version means that it's just like a very similar model, but it doesn't have the brand name, a.k.a. it's private label. And he does that a lot. I heard that his scooty bike was actually pretty lucrative, so no shade I to heard him. that as well. Yeah, like I heard people actually use that scooty bike thing 
all I know is we tend to clown Ray J because he's goofy. Like my favorite Ray J moment was on Love and Hip Hop where every single time he kept moving his hat and production didn't even notice it. So when they were editing the clips all together, while one person he was talking to was telling the story, every time it, it like the camera panned over to Ray J, his hat would be in a different place to let us know that Mona Scott Young and them do not be paying attention to shit when they (laughs) (laughs) like we need a production assistant ASAP excuse me exactly so I can only imagine that his ventures with Zeus are just as ratchet I am not subscribed to Zeus but if anybody is and wants to share their login so I can just see and touch the hem <laughs> garment of ratchetness just to get a little taste oh my gosh know, a reformed know. ratchet addict okay wow. listen you can take the love and hip hop out the girl <laughs> no how no I think it's like you could take the girl out of love and hip hop but you can't take the love and hip hop out the girl oh my god pray for her y'all Speaking of Ray J, I want to go into Versus. Oh. Because Ray J was also at Versus because everybody knows that Ray J is Brandy's little brother. And he, listen, I want somebody to have my back and root for me and look at me the way Ray J looked at Brandy. Because he was on the sideline. Let me tell you something. Brandy could be (laughs) writing her name and talk on the sidewalk, and Ray J would be like, that's right. That's my sister. That's my sister. in the world and that just those are the kind of people you need in your life you need people who's gonna stand up for you and be there be there with you should you have to do a versus battle with somebody that don't like you because gunica child (laughs) (laughs) she was not here for the antics i'm gonna tell you that right now i'm telling you and then brandy (laughs) i'm so over moesha okay she brought out her little (laughs) journal (laughs) sat in her own little corner of her own little chair and got up and told us all of these great poems like she was at a poetry reading at the den. Listen, like, girl, this ain't you being. like Andel. I said, sis, listen. I'm you like, just embodied the show. <laughs> like, it is Moesha a character or was Moesha or is it you? you? And that's okay if that's both. That's fine. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, just let us know what you're going for. Like, I really enjoyed that versus battle. It had me in all the fields. I realized how much Brandy influenced my childhood and how much Gunica influenced, like, teenage years going into being, like, an adult grown woman. Like, and I'm like, dang, like, I literally felt like I was playing tennis with myself, just going back and forth, back and forth between each song they were playing because I'm a fan of both equally. So for me, I don't want to even say who won. I, I believe black women won. That's the answer. Black women won. Black women won during Monica and Brandy, and black women won during our aunties, Patty and Auntie Gladys. Let me tell you something. That that versus, first of all, when the flyer came out, I just knew that they were joking me. <laughs> like this, I'm like, is it opposite I day? Screamed, I okay? refuse to believe that y'all really got Auntie Gladys and Auntie Patty to do this versus live and, and it be on Instagram. But I was shook. And for the first time in my life, I actually was all up in grown people business okay they started out with the grown folk business i said wait 
we having a conversation right now. Right. Never, and, I, and I'm in wow. it. And I can actually listen. Like, I don't have to listen to it. Let me tell you This something. is the only seat at the table that I want, to be honest. Right. Like, is this what I've been missing this whole time? Because I remember growing up, my grandma would be like, now, see here now. That's her little phrase. She'd be like, now, see here now. Stay out of grown folk business. And here I am at my big age. And now I'm in the grown folk business and I'm over All here just cheesing like, oh, yeah, I'm here for this. They did they that. They was reading, uh, reading that orange orange person in the White House for filth. The <laughs> occupant child, y'all's president got ripped, dragged for filth as, as he should have. They came through with just the essence of black womanhood and royalty and beauty and just wow like to be in the in the presence I wasn't there but I could just feel it through the phone that I pay so much for a month and I was just like wow like to be a black woman like I know we hate saying magical but like I just feel like in that sense they just look so like a unicorn like that it could have been a sequence they just looked like just (laughs) wow it was the sequins it was the change in shoes it was the flying it was bringing dion warwick okay okay i'm not your superwoman aka you got me fucked up okay listen the anthem the anthem it was beautiful okay like we had three legendary women basically singing a song to let us know number one i'm not your mule i am not the one go do all of that mess somewhere else but when you come here you need to come correct and i think that that was important and that was an important message for them to leave us with it sure in order is to like set a precedence for young women who are watching this who that may have been their first you know, taste into music like that. Like, wow. And then Auntie Patty came out of her shoes, which we already knew was going to happen because, <laughs> you know, she be singing. But what got me, sis, that the promo for it, where they had them doing their little commercials and they the had cooking. Auntie Gladys <laughs> making her little... Yes. They said, Patty, we going to need your pies. Gladys, we going to need your chicken. Yes. That just gave, that literally just filled me with so much joy, given all the crap that's going on right now in the world, in life. And so, like, I'm grateful. But it's crazy. We've been in quarantine so long, and this year has been so long, that Tiger King and the whole Carol Baskin's dilemma happened this year. That happened Mm. in 2020. And, of course, because Toby is still in 2017, she still hasn't (laughs) seen Tiger King. I'm actually in 1999, so. Yeah, she just stayed in the the 90s. She never came into the new millennium with us. But, surprise, surprise, Carol Baskins is going to be on Dancing with the Stars. And so I know you didn't see Tiger King, but the gist of it is there's this crazy dude named the Tiger King, and he's crazy, and he does all this crazy shit with, with this wild animal place that he owned, I believe in Florida, but I could be misspeaking. And Carol Baskins essentially was his arch nemesis. And they have so many issues They go through her story. And of course the federal bureau of investigations, Twitter edition or Twitter, you know, sphere people came to the consensus during their 
investigation that she murdered her husband. And during the Savage Challenge, this guy, he redid the Savage Challenge. And he was dressed like Tiger King. And he was like Carol Baskins. Killed her husband. Whacked him. And so, oh. like, everybody was, everybody literally has been saying, like, Carol probably killed her husband because he just disappeared, allegedly, in Costa Rica or something like that. And they're like, nah, she probably fed him to one of the tigers. And so his kids, they're not, they're not her children. They're his children. I oh, believe okay. Carol married him and she was significantly younger than he was. But essentially his children have been asking for answers for I want to say like 20 plus years like where's our dad he went missing we know Carol has something to do with it because of course they were married and she did you know end up reaping and inheriting a lot of things because he passed Mm -hmm. so the family has paid for advertising slots during dancing with the stars and has a commercial that is to air during dancing with the stars essentially saying we believe carol baskins had something to do with our dad's um disappearance our dad's you know murder please if there are any tips there's a hundred thousand dollar award please call this number wow they're so serious. The, so serious. So this Tiger King debacle just keeps on keeping on. And I'm like, well, we all know from watching Criminal Minds and from being, you know, investigators ourselves by way of Twitter that <laughs> when you give a, a huge reward like that, you're going to bring about a whole bunch of spooks and a whole bunch of theorists and a whole bunch of people who claim to be psychics to say, hey, I know what happened to him. No. <laughs> like, this is going to be a shit show, so we're going to monitor this. That's, yeah, that's a lot. I'm going to see what I can do about that. That sounds a lot like a lot. It is. It's not, it's not my typical documentary conspiracy theory that I'm texting you about or whatever. It's definitely not intellectual at all. It's literally something you watch when you need a laugh and you need to be reminded that we live in a bad place. <laughs> I think, I feel like I'm reminded a lot lately, but you know, yeah. it is what it is, especially when you think about how we're losing all the greats, especially Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. Um, that one hit hard, especially because none of us knew that he was struggling with colon cancer. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to know what you're, how you're feeling about that. No, it was a couple of weeks ago, but it's wanted been, to give space. It's been rough, mainly because, like, I just, I, and I actually appreciate having a black therapist because in, right after he passed, I actually had a session with my therapist and she immediately started with, like, hey, like, let's acknowledge the passing and chat with Bozeman because he is a, he's like a, a prominent figure in blackness and there's so many you know verticals that are in alignment with you he's from South Carolina you're from North Carolina he went to a HBCU like he's super passionate about activism and so are you so I want I want to talk about like how this is impacting you and so I doing some digging with my therapist like I really realized that there was a parallel between like how I viewed Chadwick and how he you know, kept his 
cancer to himself and how I dealt with my PTSD diagnosis and how I kept it to myself and how difficult it was to keep something that was literally impacting you, your mind, your spirit, your soul, your everything about you to yourself while going through these massive changes. I think at the time, like at the time when I got my diagnosis, I didn't tell anyone I told maybe like one or two people and they didn't take it well so I made it my mission to kind of hold it to you know hold it in and not tell anyone and it was so difficult it was difficult having to get up and and fight through the difficulty of having a mental illness right Mm -hmm. and not have the support of people that you love or the care consideration or understanding now I since eventually like disclosed to the right people who are in my life and have gotten that care and support and consideration and through therapy I figured out how to deal with it but I, I just kept thinking about how difficult that must have been to deal with one of the most aggressive forms of cancer while playing a hero who is invincible and the parallel to that is, is just mind boggling to me, you know, and so much of that, you know, heroic aspect of black Panther, essentially that label got assigned to Chadwick by proxy because that's who he, he played. That's who he was. And so many young black boys and black girls looked up to him as a result and not realizing that as humans, we are fragile. We are weak. Things happen to us that we can't describe or we can't explain. And his tenacity and perseverance to go through playing some of the most important roles in black storytelling while withering away and, and dying right in front of us without us even realizing, I think it's going to take some time for us as a society to process that. Cause that was a huge, huge blow to the black community. I mean, he meant so much. I, I remember when black Panther came out, I went with you black yeah. people in Seattle, all 12 of us <laughs> had a whole like, party slash renting out a theater there was soul food like people had on dashikis and was taking all of and, and different garbs and was taking all these crazy photos like cos I saw so many black people cosplay as black panther that I had ever seen I didn't even know what cosplay was until black panther came out and like that was the first time in my life that I just saw us represented in a way that was cool and was mainstream and that wasn't just, you know, segmented off and, you know, something that, you know, could, could be considered urban market. He was a superhero mm-hmm. who just so happened to be black. And so this was a cultural phenomenon that everybody was in on, but also to how black people are portrayed globally. It was a huge, huge impact because, you know, typically we're not portrayed in a way that I would consider the best, right? And in this instance, it was like, here we are, we have a superhero who's awesome, who's intelligent, and we have this society of black people who everyone thinks that they don't have anything and that they're struggling when really they're powerful, And they have all of these amazing gifts and talents. 
the world may overlook them, but we know our power. And just the parallel and what that meant to me and what he gave to me personally and, and what I know he gave to the world. Thank you, Chadwick. Like, I, I'm sad that you didn't get to also show your vulnerability with us because I know that for black people, it is hard to share vulnerability because, I mean, let's be honest here. In the society that we live in, had Chadwick shared his diagnosis with the world, that would have became his story. Truly. It would have became his narrative and potentially caused issues down the line for him with roles because he, if, if my math is correct, Black Panther came out while he was going through chemo. It did, yeah. He got his diagnosis, I think, right when he had gotten the role or somewhere around then. He said, they said 2016, I believe. Mm-hmm. So think about it. The biggest role of your lifetime and your hand at the death sentence. Because, and I say that to say, colon cancer is one of the most aggressive forms. It is aggressive. Chemo for colon cancer is, is very difficult. That requires mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of chemo, a, a lot, lot of, of surgery. Surgeries, it's tiring on the body, and so the fact that he was able to do that and have a circle or nucleus of people around him to give him support while in the process of, you know, recording Black Panther, like that's just crazy to me. Like I, I it's mind boggling. But in closing, what I don't want you guys to do is use this as a way to say to people, oh, because he did all of this while he had cancer, y'all need to do more. No. If anything, black people need to do less and learn how to rest. Self-sustainability. We can't move forward in the work that we are determined to do or destined to do in this world if we don't take care of ourselves. You literally cannot give from an empty cup. And I want black people to sit with that and be able to really understand that it's okay. Like we can be magic, but also we are human beings and we're only capable of so much. I'm grateful to Chadwick Boseman that he was able to give us what he did in the world. That was his purpose. He was here for a divine purpose. I believe we all are. Um, And at the same time, we need rest in order to ensure that we can give all of ourselves to whatever that divine purpose is okay i found the instagram page called the nap ministry yes i love nap ministry i I will be diving a little bit deeper into that and learning more about that because i i've even learned from this that i don't have to be superwoman as our aunties let us know within (laughs) verses like i can just be me and that's enough it's it's more than enough to just show up, do your best, but I, you don't have to do the most to the point where you're depleted of energy and can't function. So, yeah. There's really no way to segue into our final just a sip topic, so I'm just going to say it. Like, we just got word that Breonna Taylor's family got a settlement. It, I'm still yeah, frustrated because I just, I just want justice for her. It, it just seems like, you know, they have had the most – difficult time even telling us the facts of the case because it just appears that they they saw that they were doing something wrong and that they were negligible and from the very beginning they were they were literally like hiding the facts Mm -hmm. I read part that part of the case I mean part of the settlement is that 
they signed a policy and that you now have to get um, the warrant signed off by a supervisor. And my question is, why wasn't that a policy before? There are just certain things about this policing in America that I just I'm not understanding, like, how did y'all not think to implement that? But then again, you think about the history of policing, you think about why it exists today and the way that it exists and what they teach in the police academies. And it makes sense to a certain extent. Um, But it's just so detrimental in the fact that you have to first give a settlement to somebody because you fucked up and second because you feel like you don't want to like implement basic ass policies that make sense in order to keep people safe which is what you're supposed to do quote unquote just throw the whole thing away I'm done with it like I am glad that her family is to a certain extent going to be taken care of but money and this is what I wish that uh people and especially the richest people, the wealthiest people in our country would understand money does not replace life. It doesn't. Contrary to popular belief, money does not replace the life of someone who was taken away too soon. You know, like, y'all, I think just the hypocrisy of it all and how everyone was talking about those on the front lines and, and front, you know, first responders during the COVID crisis who we should be honoring. And the fact that Breonna Taylor was one of, one of those, she was a first responder. She was someone on Mm -hmm. the front lines that should be given reverence, not, you know, we shouldn't be out here fighting for something as simple as justice or someone who was, who was murdered in their sleep. You know, that that's the part that frustrates me. But I do want to reiterate that uh, Lanita Baker, who is the attorney for Breonna Taylor's estate, said that we finished the first mile in the marathon. And so the announcement of the $12 million settlement includes police reform objectives, which is what Toby alluded to. But also, I want to highlight that the criminal process is still happening. So I don't want you guys to think that they just settled and they're not trying to hold hold the city of Louisville's feet to the fire when it comes to the criminal proceedings. That's still happening. And so we just have to wait and see how this turns out. But to be honest with you, just being a black woman in America, I don't have faith in our criminal justice system. I never have and I never will. I'm just going to be watching paying close attention to how this case is handled um, because we've also seen some parallels between you know the politicalization of this case and how it's essentially not 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 reacting to this case has allowed for some people to be put in situations for their political careers to, you know, eventually run for something or be appointed to something. We saw that from the Republican National Convention. Y'all know who I'm talking about. If not, you know, we can talk about that in detail in another episode if y'all are interested. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of parallels between the GOP leadership and this particular case and who who the attorney general is for the, for that particular state. So, mm-hmm. yeah just want to call that out we'll keep our eyes on that because we can't let we can't let these um these settlements or these you know performative activism type of 
trolling, which is what I consider it, we can't let that uh, distract us from getting the real results that we need in order to live and thrive in this country, if that's what we want to do. I'll be on my Marcus Garvey shit later. Right. And (laughs) what we're referring to is real structural change. So for our uncorked segment, we wanted to talk a little bit, not so much about her, but more so about what her and other people who did what she did represent. So there is a woman. Her name is Jessica Krug. She is a white woman. Mm -hmm. She is from Kansas. Mm -hmm. She was the GW, so George Washington University Africana Studies Associate Professor. She came out on her personal blog saying that she had been fraudulent in her um, in who she was representing and who she was portraying. She was portraying a black woman. Um, You'll probably think about Rachel Dolezal when I say that she was doing exactly the same thing that that woman was doing, which was essentially playing like she was a black woman. Um, She was teaching. She was. You know, you can't even say, like, the thing is about Jessica Krug, like, you can't even say that she was doing the same thing as Rachel Dolezal, um, because Rachel Dolezal was out here advocating for black people, but she was portraying a a black woman. My issue with Jessica Krug's is that there are several counts of her being abusive to black and brown people who took her courses um, and also telling people that who were in the, in her courses who didn't fit the stereotypical mold that society has placed through the representation of media as to what blackness looks like, she would tell them they weren't black enough. There are several instances where she would chastise people and tell them that they weren't black enough. And I think my issue here, how dare you, a white woman or someone who is not black, try to be the gatekeeper of blackness as if blackness is a monolith we're not the same we are allowed to be a multitude of people with multitude types of interests and backgrounds and you know there's no one size fit fits all for my blackness and my main issue here outside of this is I want to know how many opportunities she took away from someone who was actually black by saying or cosplaying as a black woman. And so my, my restorative justice, because we've talked about, Toby and I have had several conversations about like the criminal justice system and, and how things are. I, I look towards restorative justice and my idea of restorative justice is not that she's locked up for fraud, right? It's that she has to pay restitution to any and all people who were, who were impacted or, impacted by her negligence and her fraud or or in my opinion were passed on opportunities and the opportunity was given to her because she checked black in a box and wasn't because let's be real in academic spaces especially when you're looking at phd programs there are a lot of programs to assist people of color get to you know get into certain programs and and have certain fellowship opportunities and experiences and research because there's a disparity and there there's a need for more diversity in those areas this is important work but for her to cosplay as a black person in order to 
try to have some validity to talk about Africana studies and become this professor at, you know, a premier university like GW. I have an issue mm-hmm. with that. I have an issue with that. And so I'm not going to go too much into detail. I'm going to just say I don't have the privilege of turning on my blackness and turning it off. It's there. And I don't know why written. some people think that, you know, anybody does who actually lives this experience. And why exactly. do you think that it's okay to try and play that? But also you use the experience of blackness to perpetuate white supremacy because you no, told ma'am. students like she vilified students. Like there are so many accounts and I'm not going to go into detail because it's disgusting. There are so many accounts of how she vilified black and brown students and she wasn't even black. Like she was basically trying to be the gatekeeper to tell them they weren't black enough. They weren't black enough to study in these areas and therefore they didn't have enough input or enough, you know, street cred to bring to the table for some of the research and some of the areas that she was working in. Imagine that. And she was white this whole time. And then people say that she didn't even go to, there's like rumors saying that she didn't even go to her mom's funeral because of fear that she would be exposed. Did she even alter her appearance? Like, tanning manipulating her hair all of this darker makeup all of these things just so she could be more ambiguous and then tried to hide it but behind mental health issues this is my thing you can have mental health crises but don't you know utilize that as a weapon towards other people don't weaponize mental health you know as someone who had who has a mental health disorder do not weaponize your mental health as a way to cover up bad behavior what you did was trifling it was fraud it was disgusting you hurt a lot of people in the process not to mention you gained a lot from frauding others so just like you know we dragged that guy from fire festival who defrauded all of his investors by manipulating numbers and utilizing you know influencers you're no better than that because that because you did the same thing but also you you hurt a group that is already vulnerable in a protected class that has already gone through a lot and then you had the audacity to fix your face and say Mm -hmm. to people that they weren't black enough because they didn't have this experience that you determined would be the litmus test for their blackness because you know so much right because you know so much firsthand Absolutely not. In closing, y'all all all want to be black until it's time to be black. Learn the true meaning of advocacy and allyship and don't sit here and try to morph yourself and cosplay into a black person in order to have, you know, some type of notoriety in this area. How do we know you didn't ruin people's careers? For real, though. Delegitimize people who actually we could have used their voice in both academia and the world that informs the different studies and research that we are able to advance off of. Stop co-opting blackness. It's not cute. It's not cool. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help anybody in terms of us trying to move forward. So... For Sip Happenings, we just wanted to level with y'all real quick, talk about some things that are happening in our lives. Um, 
I think that the last time we took a look at the stats, it kind of looked like y'all fuck with us a little bit. I don't really know. Just a little bit. Like, it's like, okay, let me find out. We had, like, and, and we've since then surpassed it, but the last time I checked, we were, like, like 500 total plays and i was like well dang okay cool we got somewhere a little something something on our hands so now that you're famous and i'm playing (laughs) (laughs) no for real like how are you feeling since we launched this is our fourth episode that we're recording so we've had three episodes out now how are you feeling it's been a journey to get here for sure because we have so oh many episodes God. in the archives. <laughs> Our first episode is trifling as hell. Okay, like <laughs> maybe we'll have a Patreon one day so y'all can listen to it because whoop. yeah, that yeah, there needs to be a paywall for some of the content that mm-hmm. came out at the very beginning of the show as we were toying with the idea of this, but. How are you, like, just overall, like, how are you feeling? Like, has it been difficult putting yourself out there? Have you had people, like, come to you and be like, hmm, I didn't know about this side of you? Like, overall, Um, no, I think that people have pretty much, I think that I'm as as authentic as I can get on this show. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that many people are surprised. If y'all are, let me know. But I will say, I think um, I've enjoyed, like, being able to tap into this type of creativity, like I've said a few times before. And I think, you know, people have different things that they want to make fun of me for. One of my friends makes fun of me for the way I say and. I don't know. He's a troll. But (laughs) I've had, like, there's things like that. A bunch of people send me a bunch of like country music or con- really country people videos, and they're like, "That's how you sound on the podcast, you bumpkin." Wow. I'm like, "Well, dang, okay." Like I made it very clear, like abundantly clear, I am from the great state of North Carolina. Toby hey, hey. is too, but I also have some Georgia roots, so I'm a lot countryer than she is because, like, the basis, the nucleus of my mom's family is from South Carolina, and all of my dad's side of the family is from georgia and i grew up in north carolina that's country those are literally the three (laughs) the three states in the southeast like (laughs) that's country i'm country and it's okay but another thing that i was told is in addition to being country nika you and toby's voice is like really really soothing and it puts us all to sleep sometimes (laughs) Like not in a like not in a boring way, but like you make me want to wind down and literally I'll like listen to the whole episode and then as soon as your episode is done, I just go to sleep. So I don't know how many of the plays that we do have is just like y'all fell asleep after listening to the episode and then other episodes just started playing. But we'll take it. Shoot, I don't care. A play is a play. <laughs> a play is a play is a play. A play is a play, and we trying to get played, but not in that way, bars. Oh, I could be a city girl. <laughs> Please go. Why? You're canceled. I mean, I could totally be a city girl. Like, oh, no, wow. Cancel me. Woo. Because we know what happens when people get canceled. <laughs> One day we're going to talk about how all you got to do to get uncanceled is be featured on a fire-ass song. 
that's it. And so if y'all do cancel me, I'll just moonlight or cosplay. Just hop like on the like track. Do. I'm a cosplay as a rapper. <laughs> And I'm hopping on somebody's track. One other thing I will say about this podcast, a couple of my coworkers found it. Listen, you know who you are. Just remember me different. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. I'm good. Remember me different. Just know like, hey, like, just remember me different. That's all I'm going to say. Luckily for me, my mom hasn't found it yet. Right? Like she hasn't listened yet it's coming one of y'all eventually is gonna show her how to how to access the podcast app i know it because y'all taught her how to send video messages and so she'd be sending me morning video messages telling me to have a good day and so i know that the next step in her technological adventure is going to be this podcast app and i and so we will keep you guys posted on how that goes when parents start listening and giving feedback especially when we talk about topics like vibrators like my god that's so i don't think i'm not gonna lie to you i don't think my dad made it through the first episode so that's what we don't (laughs) need because it's awkward okay like yeah we grown, okay. We we the aunties now, but at the end of the day, we still somebody's child. <laughs> but it's been a fun journey. Like I'm I'm thankful. I'm I'm glad you guys are enjoying the show. And so like we do have some things in the works, but do want to call out that you can leave us a voicemail and you yes. can send in any thoughts, comments, general concerns, statements, or questions that you have. And with my limited experience in not being a therapist, I can totally lead you down a path of destruction. So if you're interested in that, <laughs> please feel free. I actually give really good advice. You can ask anybody. So I just feel like y'all should leave us some notes, leave us some voicemails, link in bio, okay? Yeah, so if you go to our Instagram page, like, and you look at our link tree, there's actually a link where you can leave us a voicemail. And so if you want to, like, ask a question, but you want to leave a voice note as opposed to, like, writing it out in in email, you can do that as well. And then you can hear your voice on here. Yeah, because we will play your voice on the show. So it's almost like you're... With your consent, because if you don't want us to play it and you just want to leave us a crazy voicemail, you can do that, too. Because let me tell you something. I send my friends crazy voice notes all the time and it is hilarious. It is also fun and it also sparks joy. So just want to put that out there. Hit us up. So this week's wind down is a previously recorded wind down from the archive that we felt was necessary and it was an important conversation that we wanted you guys to hear. Hope that the message resonates and just know that we are trying to grow with you here. So today for our wind down, we're talking about the risk or reward of leaving your comfort zone. And this came mainly out of me wanting to talk a little bit about how we show up to this podcast and really how we show up to a lot of different environments. Um, I think it was sparked because for me, I'm entering a new stage in life and I have started only pursuing projects that serve me as a person rather than projects that are paying me well or I feel like should be the thing, quote unquote, that I should be um, pursuing and how doing things 
that serve me might not always be following the status quo or what you know was taught to me growing up and that can be a little challenging sometimes um a little scary and so I want to talk a little bit about being in our comfort zone slash being in our stretch zone um I know I talk about that a lot outside of this podcast and so I wanted to bring it to the podcast so yeah I'm excited about this conversation because I know it can be kind of touchy and I definitely got into it some years ago with a friend where I was talking about leaving my comfort zone and so I think it's important but first being me I want us to define what comfort zone means and so that is a behavioral state within which a person operates in an anxiety neutral condition using a limited set of behaviors to deliver a steady level of performance. So I do want to highlight that it says anxiety neutral condition. Um, And so with that being said, I'm going to open it up. And the question that I'm going to have both of us ask was, well, answer. I'm going to ask it. We're going to answer. Um, When was the time you left your comfort zone? So I'll let you go first. So... I think that one of the biggest times was what we talk about, I feel like, all the time, which is moving across the country to Seattle by myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done that a few times, actually, moving to somewhere or being somewhere for a minute. I did that when I went to study abroad. Um, I did. I did it again when I moved to Seattle. And just, like, being in a space where I knew absolutely nobody – and not knowing my surroundings, not having any connections, which is like a huge thing if you know who I am as a person. Um, like I had my cousin and his wife and that was it. And they like lived across the water. So that was a huge, it put me almost in a pan- in panic mode a little bit. Cause you talk about your comfort zone, but then adjacently there's the stretch zone or like the next layer is the stretch zone where mm-hmm. you're kind of pushing yourself to the limit. And then beyond that, um, I think I'm saying it wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure it's like um, panic zone or panic induced zone or something of that nature. And just, yeah, moving to Seattle alone was one of the hardest things that I've probably done because it forced me, like I had to make new connections with people and new relationships like, without knowing anybody, without knowing where people came from, knowing friends of friends, and that was weird to me. What about you? So, I feel like we both have talked about it and hinted about it on this podcast a lot. So, I will say, I have stepped out of my comfort zone a lot. I would say that I am more comfortable outside of my comfort zone than I am in my comfort zone sometimes, um, which is problematic too. Um, But me moving across the country from North Carolina, little country girl from North Carolina, going to Seattle probably was the biggest step outside of my comfort zone just because I didn't know anyone. Just the, the people that I met during my internship 
but I didn't know them long enough to say that these are lifelong friends or that these are people that I can count on or call on if something were to happen. Right. Um, and that was scary. It's scary to have to go into a new environment and reinvent yourself, learn about you, learn about people, especially because that was my introduction to adulthood. Most people, their introduction to adulthood is starting a new job in their hometown after they've left college and decided to go back to their hometown after undergrad. Mine was graduate 10 days later, moving across the country to Washington State state known for like serial killers <laughs> being single and rain. And, uh, and rain and coffee and and you know other things um but moving across the country where I ain't really know nobody and I know ain't that many black folk so I was nervous I was terrified about moving to Seattle also because I do not like fast friendships and T and I have had this conversation over has it been about five years now that we've known each other? Just really? about. Five? Oh yeah. Um, within the five years that she and I have known each other, we have had a conversation about how we don't like fast friendships and how, you know, it's good that we allowed our friendship to evolve and grow. And when you go to a city you don't know and you need friends, people tend to make friendships and connections very fast because they're looking for someone or some type of community. And a lot of times those bonds are built on trauma. The tra- the traumatic experience of leaving home and being far away from everything you know. So they're not really true friendships. True connections. Right. Yeah, they're I connections based on, based on circumstance. Right. Which can serve you at that point. And I think that's okay to a certain extent. But it gets a little tricky when you move outside of that um that's when you have to kind of reevaluate or even evaluate if you never took the time to kind of see like oh are we gonna continue to build upon this because it's kind of work to build a friendship a long-lasting one at least yeah it can so what did leaving your comfort zone teach you um it taught me to be more vocal. I think that definitely happened the first time I left my comfort zone in a really huge way, which was going to Morocco for six months and living there and trying to navigate that. That taught me that I have to be vocal about what I need and where I need to be um, and what kind of resources I want to have access to as well. That's like a big one being able to determine like what exactly I need to be able to thrive, not just survive, but to thrive. Um, In Seattle, being in Seattle, that was like a huge indicator of what I need and what I don't need. (laughs) And especially like, I mean, just like you, I moved out there directly after undergrad, directly after graduating and that was a big culture shock and it was a big wake up call for like a lot of habits that I had formed in undergrad and trying to like work through those and like grow into adulthood. All of that came at once. And also like professionally, oh my gosh, like having to navigate 
who I was as a professional, who I am as a, a professional and understanding like what I need out of somebody who I'm working with, somebody who's supervising me, things of that nature. Um, the things that, to be honest, like I didn't really talk about with anybody before that, before I moved. It was kind of just like, okay, you can handle it, which I could to a certain extent, but I think it would have been nice to have these types of conversations beforehand, even if they weren't necessarily applicable. I agree. Oh, girl, it taught me a lot. It taught me that the bigger the risk, the greater the reward. I mean, I remember learning that in in undergrad, um, but seeing it play out in my life. There's so many things that I would not have had or experiences that I would not have had had I not taken the plunge and relocated. It taught me to be comfortable in failure. It taught me how to thrive in ambiguity. So there's been a lot of times within my Seattle experience where I didn't quite know something or I didn't quite know what was next. And so it taught me to just be okay with that Mm because I tend to think with a very strategic brain and everything has to make sense from a a life plan perspective. And it taught me to take that planner and throw it out the window and kind of just like still hold some of those things that you have on your life plan close to chess but it also taught me that you need to be open and flexible because you might get all of those things and realize that that's not for you um it also made me look at friendships differently I mean when I first moved to Seattle I was angry I was an angry little girl okay like and I say girl because now years later looking at who I was when I first moved out there it was like wow like I had my guard up I was really not trying to make friends or like make relationships with people a priority and it ended up teaching me that community is one of the most important things that you can ever have I agree you can have all of the work ethic you can be fine finer than fine you can be the smartest person in the room but if you don't have community you have nothing because when things don't go how they should and that happens in life all of the time your community is the group of people that you can be vulnerable with you can be open you can be honest you can bring transparency you can you know cry you can laugh you can drink too much wine you can you know go and have Chinese food at two o'clock in the morning and drink tea like you can do all of those things with this set of people who have your back and want you to win and you equally have their back and want you to win and it allows you to take off the mask that you tend to have to have on especially as a black woman navigating corporate spaces um, and allows you to grow Um, and so I would say it taught me peace it taught me how to love it taught me how to be open to relationships that are not just romantic 
right? It taught me the importance mm-hmm. of of platonic intimacy, which we talked about in the previous episode. It also taught me that it's okay to walk away when something doesn't serve you. And so For sure. just, just like I took the risk and I moved to Seattle, I took the risk and I left Seattle when it no longer served me. And it didn't make sense to a lot of people. I mean, my story is I was sitting at work. I I had anxiety. I was it was a week where I had two panic attacks every day that week. My manager had just finished cursing me out and I heard what I believe to be the voice of God tell me to walk away. And I mm-hmm. told him to step into a conference room. We had a discussion. I handed him my badge. I handed him my laptop and I wished him well on his journey of finding my replacement. And I said, if there's anything that you need, if you need me to make some recommendations of who you should hire, I will. You be blessed. He sat there with egg on his face and he was confused. But it was in that moment where I realized that Seattle no longer served me. I was upset all the time. I was depressed and it was time for me to make a move back to my comfort zone right so we talked about leaving our comfort zone right in that moment I actually had to leave Seattle which had become a comfort zone and go back to what some people would perceive as a comfort zone and I had to reset and grow within that space because I had been so worn out and I had transitioned from what you call anxiety neutral to panic induced. Right. And so that experience taught me that it's okay. I thought I was failing. I told all my friends, Oh, this is me failing. I'm failing. Um, going home because I failed and my mom she reminded me she's like you're going home because you needed rest you have been going 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 type a personality planning out every aspect of your life since you were eight she said you brought home a college she said you she reminded me say at eight you brought home a book of HBCUs and had the ones that you wanted to visit highlighted. And around, I told you that we wouldn't visit colleges until you were at least 14 and you negotiated and said that you wanted to go on a black college tour. So I let you do it at 11. And so that's when we did a tour and she took me to the AUC. And so I was having conversations about what I wanted to be growing up and what I wanted to study and where I wanted to go at eight. When I probably should have been outside on a bike. Listen, you can do both. My business. I mean, yes, you can do both. You can do both. (laughs) But I am also the child that successfully negotiated after having a protest in the living room where I made picket signs because I (laughs) wanted five extra, five to 30 extra minutes to stay awake as opposed to go to sleep because I wanted to finish my book that I was reading. And I just felt like the pace in which I was reading would be quicker if I had extra time. So I have always been 
problematic. I've always been opinionated. <laughs> I have always been a problem child in that regard. And I hats off to my mom for, for just rolling with the punches. Cause it is always something random going on with me. And I, I know from the outside looking at, in a lot of people and how I show up in the world, a lot of people can think she has a lot going on. There's not a plan. She just be out here just going with the wind and, and stuff. And to some degree, yes, but also there is a plan because everything that I've ever wanted to do, um, everything that has ha- that I had on my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, has actually ended up happening quicker in my life. And so it may look like I'm, I'm bouncing around, but it all has a strategy to it. And now it has all come together in what I'm doing now and where I am now. But had I not left my comfort zone of North Carolina and went to Seattle and then decided that once Seattle had been a little bit too much for me to make my way back East, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be where I, where I am right now because where I am right now, I got here from meeting the people that I met when I decided to leave and come back East. You see how right. that happens? And so one thing that I really want to urge those who are listening, when you're thinking about leaving your comfort zone, also consider that everything happens in its own divine purpose and timing, right? And so what I thought I didn't need to do, and I was kicking and screaming and I was terrified and I thought I was a failure. It ended up being what I needed to do in order to get what I really wanted in life. Absolutely. I'm here for that. Everything happens in divine time. Everything. And so like what I want to know with you, right? So you've had a lot of change too, because you decided to leave Seattle when it became a little bit panic induced. And there were some other things that you needed to do for yourself and for your growth and for your career and what your life path. And so how was it making that decision Um, And also, how do you feel about that decision now? That decision was hard. There was a lot going on. (laughs) It's so funny um, because if people had, I guess, like the insider into what was happening with me when I was living in Seattle, when I made the decision to leave, they would have been like, well, why would you do that? I had a good job. I was this is like real personal, but I was just pursuing a new relationship with somebody. I had a good community surrounding me. Um, and all of that hit me. I was building relationships with people in Seattle. And that really hit me when I did leave. Cause I was like, damn, I've built up so much here. I mean, I was in Seattle for three years, but in that three years, a lot of stuff happened. And it just, it was hard, to be honest, to make that decision to take the jump and do what I needed to do. But I realized that I needed to be really selfish. I gave a lot of myself when I was in Seattle, trying to build community, trying to meet new people, grow myself in different ways. And a lot of it was selfless work. Working in nonprofit is selfless work, and even in my job, even though I was doing pretty well in it, I was getting really comfortable, and my employer was making was getting really comfortable, 
and it was showing up <laughs> in the ways that they treated me as nonprofits will do. And yeah, I just decided that I need to I need to move on. It's time. Kind of like you, I had that whisper in my ear um, from a higher purpose, from God. And, you know, I was, I heard it and it told me that I needed to go <laughs> and try something different because I was getting a little too comfortable. And I feel like when I first got to where I am now, I was really frustrated because I felt like I had just lost all of the things that I had built up in the past three years. Um, And I didn't know if certain relationships were going to thrive if I made that jump. But like I said, I had to be super selfish and think about, well, what do you, if you do this now, what do you think that the next five years or 10 years is going to look like? If you don't do it, what do you think it's going to look like? And I knew I wasn't going to be happy if I didn't do it. Um, and that's just the type of person I am. I'll always look ahead like that. I'm still working on trying to be present. <laughs> but for me. Same, sis. Same. Yeah. But for me, looking ahead is how I, like, kind of find my strength to move forward. And so being able to do that really allowed me to make that jump and it served me in a lot of different ways. I've been able to accomplish a lot more, been able, like I said earlier, to pursue projects and pursue aspects of my life that serve me and not necessarily serve what I think I should be doing or what other people think I should be doing. And that's like mind blowing because I entered adulthood. I entered post-grad life thinking, I need to be doing this and I need to be doing that. And for what? Like, that's all self-imposed. It's up to me to make sure that I'm pursuing things that serve me. So. That's so important. Like, I, I've also been, like, blessed to witness that evolution and change. I know one thing I was super nervous about when I left Seattle. I was like, wow, I have. I finally, because I had been in Seattle a little bit longer than T before she got there. And I remember thinking, finally, I found my tribe of people. I found the people that I know I can depend on and that they know that they can depend on me. And I was terrified that I would lose that moving because I was like, how many of these friendships are based on the fact that we're stuck in Seattle and there's no black people, right? And so... To my surprise, nothing changed. I still spoke with my friends regularly. Um, I was still a part of their lives and they still were open and shared. And, you know, we just learned how to use technology to the point where I honestly have not seen T since I left Seattle. Right. Not in person. Not in person. We have not seen each other in what, about two, three years? Yeah. Almost. So it's crazy, you know. <laughs> it's it's crazy and I'm so thankful for Seattle because not only did it introduce me to people that I know that will be in my life for a very long time. 
Uh, it also just opened me up to the idea of friendship. I'm not saying that the the friends that I made before weren't my friends. I'm saying that adult friendships are hard to foster, right? College is so easy to make friends. You can make friends because y'all have the same class. You can make friends because y'all are both drunk at the frat party or on, on the yard or in the union. It's real easy to make a friend. You know, what's your area code? 704. Oh, you from Charlotte too, girl? Boom. Nice. Y'all done made friends. You know, so in a in adulthood, it's different. It is. You no, know, it's different. Reason. Because there are there are things that matter to you now. You're learning, you're growing. What's important to me at 28. Or even when I was fresh out of college, when I was a young whippersnapper, what was important to me then was not important to me at 18, right? Truly. I want to know what you believe in. Are you responsible? You know, what is your passions? Are you working towards your goals? Do you make excuses? I don't want to be around people that make excuses. I want to be around people who also give them grace and know when to rest. But I want to be around people who have goals and don't make excuses for why they can't meet their goal. I want to be around people who say, you know what? I got this goal. It may take me a while, but I'm going to work on a piece of it every single day. And that's how I'm going to show up because that not only inspires me, but it's, it's just amazing to have people like that in your tribe and in your circle, right? You, it, it is rewarding to be able to see my friends thrive, support their vision, support their dreams, and for them to do it vice versa when it comes to me and my many dreams and my many moves, Cause I have moved a lot in my life. Um, and so I think those are important lessons to learn. And I also believe that I would not have learned those lessons had I had stayed in Charlotte. No shade to Charlotte. It's cute. Um, <laughs> but I grew at a rate that was much more exponential from leaving the comfort of my hometown where my mama know everybody and everybody know my mama. And if they don't know my mama, they know somebody that know my mama. You know what I mean? Period. Mm-hmm. Like that's how it is. I literally could, was in Seattle and this dude hit me up and was like, yo, I think I met your mama at the Hornets game. <laughs> and then sent me a selfie with my mama. I'm like, how, how, <laughs> how? And so that's a that's one of the reasons why I'm like, I don't know if that Charlotte life is for me. When people hit me up and be like, could you ever see yourself like actually settling down at home? And I say, I hate Charlotte. They be like, why? And I say mainly because so much of my family is there. That's a plus, but it's a huge negative because there is so many people who know people in my family and they don't know how to just let me be. I'm the baby. So they're all up in my business. And had I had stayed home, I would have been right in that shell of protection where I'm the baby of my family and nobody wants me harmed and nobody wants anything bad to happen to me. And I wouldn't have grown. I wouldn't have loved. I wouldn't have lost. I wouldn't have gotten my heart broken. I wouldn't have, you know, interviewed for things and not gotten them. I wouldn't have been told no. I wouldn't have had to learn what failure looks like and how to how to move through it and how to have that tenacity to 
show up every day even when you don't want to. I wouldn't have learned none of that had I stayed in Charlotte. Yeah. I think but I think that's a more of a hometown thing, especially if you grew up in one place for a minute rather yeah. than a Charlotte thing or like a location. Oh, it's thing. not city specific at all. So I right. want to make this very clear. I'm speaking from the lens of someone who is from Charlotte, a, a Charlotte right. native, and that is my hometown. Therefore, that is my comfort zone. That is not limited to Charlotte. Charlotte is not that type of place. So if you thinking about moving to Charlotte, I'll probably tell you to do it because it's a thriving city. It's beautiful. There, there's a lot to do. But as for me in my house, it does not serve me. It does not serve me because it is my comfort zone. And what I have learned about myself in moving away from my comfort zone is that I am actually more comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. Same. Which can be, it can, it can be detrimental sometimes, but mostly Mm -hmm. it serves me. But I definitely identify with that. I always put myself in situations where it's like, girl, (laughs) calm down but at the same time i'll be growing i'll be growing i'll be glowing but i also be hurting and i'll be crying and i'll be right. and I'll be like mama why did you let me do this and my mama was like <laughs> when have i ever let you do anything okay. you just do it yeah, I, I, <laughs> my mom I, I literally called my mama why you let me do this why'd you let me i was super dramatic all of the dramatics i know my mother it's so over me and my dramatics sometimes. I'm calling her and I'm just like, why did you? My mom's like, what have I ever in your life let you do anything? You have always walked to the beat of your own drum and did whatever it is that you wanted to do. And you asked for forgiveness, not permission your whole life. So this is just one of those woes and those those bumps in a row. And you just going to have to deal with it. Learn, you know, understand that it does suck. But once you have acknowledged your feelings come up with a plan to get yourself out of that feeling and so yeah it sucks it really sucks being out of your comfort zone too being uncomfortable is not only uncomfortable but it's terrifying it is but you have those like silver lining moments for me Mm -hmm. that makes it almost a little worth it like I think that it's up to you to decide how far you can push yourself and mm-hmm. utilize your resources to be able to do that health in a healthy way. But I don't know. I think I encourage everybody to go outside of their comfort zone as much as they can, just because it allows you to grow in different ways. And that's for the betterment of yourself. You get to experience different things. That's the fun part to me. And I want to make it clear because back when I was young and I moved across the country, I had this image of your comfort zone had to be as extreme as packing up your life and moving across the country. But like I said at the beginning, I got into it with a very close friend about that. And she made a point that you can grow in your own town. And I was adamant that you couldn't. But having had to go home, After being in Seattle and needing to reset, I can honestly say the amount in which I grew within that time period, the first couple months home, I, the first three months home, I was just angry, sad. I kind of was in that mourning phase of like, 
being back home and having to explain why I'm home and Mm -hmm. you know everybody's looking like oh the oh how the mighty have fallen and being assholes when this was a decision that I made after I calculated and and knew that I would be okay for a little while and I wanted to choose me and I wanted to be intentional about the work that I took on next and making sure it was something I was passionate about and something I wouldn't have anxiety about and that I was working in an environment that accepted my thoughts and, and didn't treat my thoughts as if they were a dig to their own intelligence. And so in doing that, I grew and so to my homegirl who I said that you couldn't grow from your comfort zone in your hometown, I'm sorry, girl, I was wrong. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about growing and being able to say I was wrong. And I was Truly. definitely dead ass wrong when I said that because you can and I did. And I I see why some people say that. So for those who aren't in positions where they can pack up and leave. You can leave your comfort zone in your own town, in your hometown by going to a different area of the city, mm-hmm. going to a different, you know, learning about a different religion other than yours. Not You don't got to convert, but just learning and conversing with people of other beliefs, you know, right. also trying new food, you know, deciding that you're just not gonna go to Wingstop and get lemon pepper all flats fried hard every day and maybe eating a salad or going somewhere else and trying some type of different cuisine putting smoked sea salt on top of your sweet potatoes and not threatening to um, block someone (laughs) Um, there's so many different things that you could do from the comfort of your hometown or wherever it is that you may live that you feel comfortable in to take yourself out of your comfort zone so I do want to call that out because I know that I said that in my past and I want to call my own self out for being problematic in that retrospect. That's real. That's what we're here for. Exactly. So the last phase of this conversation, I wanted to talk about kind of where we are right now, as opposed to um, where we were when it, where, when it, is about like comfortability. Now we have a podcast. What does that look like from a a space of comfortability and how we choose to show up? Um, Also, you know, how our podcast is showing up in the world as an extension of us. And so I wanted to open that up to you, T. And of course, I'll answer after. Yeah, for me, I originally brought this topic to Neek because... For me, it's been um, a journey. Like I said, and I'm going to keep saying, I'm pursuing projects that serve me. This serves me in a way that it's a creative outlet. I get to express myself in different ways. That's what a podcast is. I think that in the same vein, I know that I'm looking for certain things that are going to enable me to keep a lifestyle that I want and also enable me to do the work that I want to do. And I think I was a little cautious, not that I wanted to quit the podcast, but more so like I wanted to make sure that we are presenting our authentic selves and also ourselves understanding that anybody could be listening. Um, 
And I think that we had a longer conversation off the air. But I think I'm at a place now where I understand that, to be honest, like I don't want to be in a space where I'm not able to bring my authentic self. I think that the past few months in America especially have highlighted the fact that Black people have had to code switch a lot in order to make a decent dollar. That's a result of capitalism. That's a result of white supremacy. To be honest, I'm in a space where I want to be able to change that. And I'm still in contention with the fact that I still have to make a living in order to sustain myself. So I'm not sure if I have like a direct answer for it. I think that or I know that I do want to be able to continue to bring my authentic self to the spaces that I'm a part of. And I'm still dealing with the fact that I'm a millennial. And so I I grew up a certain way and was taught to be a certain way when it comes to professionalism. And some of those ways are getting a little outdated. Some of those ways are completely run by white supremacist policies and beliefs. So just to be authentic here, I'm working through that. And I wanted to make sure that that was known. Well said. I think I would say from a comfortability perspective right now, I have put myself out there in the past three months more than I typically would. I am typically the digital hype man that's rooting my friends on on social media. I typically don't post much. Um, I send memes. That is one of my love languages. Um, My friends call me the meme queen behind my back sometimes they don't think I know (laughs) um and so actually having a podcast which is something that I've always wanted to do because I'm very opinionated I love to talk about what's going on in the world I love to talk about personal experiences professional experiences and I love to talk to Toby so having this space to be creative is important it allows me to have something that I can be passionate about that's outside of my work, which I'm also passionate about. But in order for me to have work-life harmony, because I believe in harmony and not balance, um, which is another discussion we can have another day. Um, I believe this show is imperative, but how I show up to this show is being authentic. And you have to understand that a lot of our banter and a lot of my humor might be slightly shady but me at my root at my core I want the best for people and I want people to win like I really don't operate from a space of malicious intent anymore when I was 16 17 18 year old Nika when I was angry with the world maybe but I want anyone who comes in contact with me to win, but you also have to understand that our banter is based on our friendship of five years. We get each other. So she understands when I say something, it's literally me just trying to bring some comedic relief when the topic might be a little too heavy for me. And that's a coping mechanism. And so with that, I know that I work in a very public space at a place that can be somewhat controversial at times. And so 
if I'm empowering people to have their freedom of speech, then that means I should also be empowered to have my own degree of freedom of speech. And the things that are important to me, black people winning, black women being safe, black children being able to be children and have joy and not have to worry about, you know, the, the harshness of this world making their lives so unbearable at a young age. Those are topics that are important to me and that I'm not going to apologize for having an opinion about. I'm not, period. Because as we discussed earlier in this show, good necessary trouble is is essentially what we have to do in order to push the culture forward so we all can win. So how I choose to show up on this show is being Nika. Now, some of you who have met me at at different and various spaces of my life, you may have only gotten 5% of me. Toby has been, I, I would say privileged. I don't know. You can ask her if it's a privilege, but she has been privy to a hundred percent of me because a part of our friendship that I've learned in my process of leaving my comfort zone was being my full unapologetic self in a friendship and learning how to grow within a platonic intimate friendship where certain things that I may say or certain behaviors that I may exhibit may be harmful and having to adjust. So over the years, we've had these conversations. We've had heart to hearts. We've had cry to cries. We've had these discussions about banter and what's acceptable and boundaries. So she gets it and I'm respectful of her boundaries as she is to me. And so because we're close like that, you'll pick up on that on the show. And some of y'all may not have seen or heard certain parts of me, certain parts of my humor because I have dialed it back around you based on the vibes that you had, essentially, because that's what Geminis do. <laughs> Geminis are mirrors. So if, if I show you a certain part of me, it's basically based on the vibe that I got from the situation. So you may not have known that I like to crack jokes. Some of you may not know I'm shady. Some of you think that all I am is shady and I have no substance. And some of you might be like, who is this girl out here trying to be Ayana? Um, but these are all aspects of me that make me who I am. And I'm bringing them all to the show. And I'm, and I'm also bringing not only just to the show, I'm bringing that to the world because I gave myself the permission to finally do that and to be the woman that I say I am out loud. So, yeah. And that's that. That's that on that period. Period. So... In closing this wind down, we know that this episode was kind of long, but we had a lot to talk about. What's important to us is growing and leaving our comfort zone and sharing some of the knowledge that we have acquired and doing that with the, with the listenership who may not have been able to move across the country and learn some of these lessons. And so we thank you for giving us the space to share these areas of our lives with you very personal areas that we've gone through in order to grow and to become the women that we are today and to continue to become the women that we're going to be in the future and so 
with that, we close this wind down and we just want to encourage anyone out there who's scared about leaving their comfort zone or may not think that it's for them or they might just feel like, okay, like where do I start? You start by just doing it, sis or bro person. Just do it. Like there's no manual for this. My experience is so much different than T's experience when it comes to moving and the experience that I've had in Seattle, the experience she had in Seattle, the experience I had in DC, the experience I had in Charlotte and back in Texas. So just do it. You will be all the better for it. And we're rooting for you. Always. So for this week's poor play, we wanted to talk a little bit about platonic versus romantic intimacy and how Mm -hmm. important it is to incorporate both in your life, one or both, but mostly platonic intimacy. So I wanted to read this little post that was making its rounds around Instagram. It says, kiss your friend's faces more. Destroy the belief that intimacy must be reserved for monogamous relationships. Be more loving. Embrace platonic intimacy. Embrace vulnerability. Use emotionality as a radical tactic against a society which teaches you that emotions are a sign of weakness. Tell more people you care about them. Hold their hands. Tell others you are proud of them. Offer support readily. Take care of the people around you. So I wanted to bring this topic up because I think a lot of times we focus so much on romantic intimacy and trying to find our next bay or making sure that, you know, we have our romantic relationships in order, but we don't always pay attention to what platonic intimacy might look like. I think for me especially, it's important that I feel the love physically from both my platonic friends and my romantic interests just because that's one of my love languages but it doesn't always have to mean physical touching it can also mean spending time together or being able to listen or receiving gifts or giving gifts to your friends Um, but I wanted to I think both of us really wanted to drive this notion home that you need to be paying attention to your friends and being able to love on them and understand that um, romantic intimacy isn't your everything and you need that balance. I think that is super important. I think that people put a huge, you know, emphasis, that's the word, on romantic relationships. But I feel like platonic relationships are, in my eye, just as important to me because. I believe, and and for me, for Nika, a.k.a. Nika, for me, my platonic relationships are important because they allow me to understand the importance of vulnerability and to learn these things in practice so that when I do enter romantic relationships, it's not foreign to me. So there's certain things that, you know, I believe you should also be vulnerable with your friends about and you should give grace and you should allow you guys to grow together. I think that in a lot of instances, people don't give that grace to their friends. They only allow for their relationships to have that grace. And I don't like it. Like how come, you know, Ray J I'm just using this random name. 
how come he gets to have all 12,000 million chances and cheat on you seven, you know, billion times with every woman in the world, but your friend doesn't answer, you know, your phone call or does something that you don't like once and you're willing to cut her off. That's a word. Like, I wonder, I wonder the same thing. I think, um, for me, I've experienced, um, as of late getting closer to my male friends who are platonic male friends. And I think that that's a little bit newer to me in terms of what I've experienced, like in other parts of my life, understanding what it looks like to form those relationships, um, is really important. And knowing that you have that different perspective, I mean, everybody has a different perspective to give in general, but having those platonic relationships is so important to be able to balance that with whomever you might be involved with romantically. I think that there is something to be said about forming a friendship with somebody who you might be romantic with later on, but it's really important to have those platonic relationships and understanding how you can continue to build those. You can't rely on one person for everything. And for me, that's especially important because I think I have so many people in my life that are so important to me in different ways and add value in different ways. And I hopefully add value to them in different ways. Um, And I just want people to realize that. I want y'all who are listening to realize that it's great to have both platonic and romantic relationships. It's important. It's necessary. I've seen a lot of people say, you know, y'all doing too much to be just friends. Like, why would you not have a conversation with your friends about expectations and love languages? Love languages show up in friendships as well. Absolutely. You know, familial relationships, every type of relationship you can think of. Right. And so just to give you guys a definition, because you know me, I'm the dictionary queen. Okay. Like I love words and meanings and wanting to make sure that you guys understand what I'm saying. You know, a a platonic intimacy literally is exactly what it sounds like. It's a close relationship with someone where there's no sexual or romantic interest. Like there's deep unconditional love there between you and that person. Emphasis on unconditional meaning hey I am not placing conditions on how I love you or what you know aspects of you I love I'm going to accept you for who you are I'm not going to allow you to disrespect me and my boundaries but we're going to learn how to grow together in this relationship as it evolves in life right like so before you cut off your homegirl or your homeboy consider this if I consider you someone who I am being you know platonically intimate with but I'm not willing to give you a chance to be your fully realized self then I'm trash and that's just like that's that's really what I'm willing to stand on 10 toes down like in your friendships it shouldn't be about what you can get from your friends or what your friends can give to you it should be about your friends being able to be safe and be unapologetically themselves and if there is something that comes up that may be offensive to you or that you you know you may need 
in order to be able to coexist, you guys work on that and have conversations with each other so that you can grow together. If you don't want to do that, that's fine, because there are instances where some people are literally in your life for a season. But even so, if they're only in your life for a season, make it a good one. Make it a season that's worth learning and not have all of this toxicity and pettiness going rampant in the streets for no reason when all you need to do is just give people space to be their truest selves and not expect people to be who you want them to be and allow them to be who they are in in its totality I said a lot and no I'm not sub subbing nobody because I know a few of y'all think I'd be we don't sub on on this this podcast I don't unless we outright say it anyone (laughs) right if I if I sub you I will literally say you know who you are I've done it before I'm I'm real real when it comes to stuff like that 10 toes down but I just want us to be better friends to each other because I saw a post this girl posted like something that she did for her friend's birthday and it was like very elaborate it was a quarantine birthday her friend had been going through a lot and I kid you not some girl gonna retweet and say you must want to have sex with her because nobody does that for just a friend it's like do y'all receive love from your friends or do y'all just be hanging around each other to get up do y'all just hang out with your friends to talk about men if you're straight like do y'all just get around your friends to complain about life and and dudes and how dudes are playing you or are you literally friends with someone to do all of those things and show up and celebrate wins and literally love each other I think the root cause is that a lot of y'all don't like y'all's friends so as for me in my house I like my friends my friends are my family at this point in my life and I consider their presence in my life a blessing and being able to be in their life and watch them grow and giving them a space to be open with me about anything knowing that this is a non-judgmental zone is a great like it is literally something that means a lot to me it means so much to me and it fills my heart up with so much joy to know that I can be a great friend and love on my friends and give them a and space. And hold them. And hold them. I and love hug holding them. space for my friends. Yeah, holding like, space for them, giving reverence, giving reverence to them, prioritizing them, making them feel loved. I love that. Mainly because this world is harsh and in a world that tells you every day that you don't matter I want my friends to know when it comes to me and the space I hold for them they matter period absolutely and so in closing be better be better people realize that it's okay to hold space for platonic intimacy we're not saying oh don't be romantic I mean I'm realizing more and more as I get older that I am a hopeless romantic like (laughs) so (laughs) that is a new revelation but Like, it's okay to have some type of platonic intimacy in your life that's not, you know, reserved for these weird friend zone situations that y'all put people in. Like, you can literally Mm -hmm. just be friends with someone, hold space, want them to win and grow together as you go through this journey called life. Yes, and it is a journey. It's a journey. All right? All right. So to wrap up this episode... I'm here, sustainability shawty coming at y'all again. Um, I just wanted to 
give some space to a lot of us. I know that I live in the California area or in the state of California. And so we're experiencing a lot of rapid climate change right now. It is a climate crisis. Um, The climate crisis is real, y'all. It's happening right in front of our salad. And there are things that we can do about it before it gets super, super detrimental. It's detrimental at this point, but before it gets real, real out here, there are a few things that we can do, um, especially when it comes to voting. Um, A lot of our politicians right now, they're, they're climate crisis deniers, and that can change. So especially if you, I know that there's a lot of people who might have some contention about the way that we'll uh, be voting in this presidential election, but if for nothing else, please, please, please pay attention to what is on your ballots in terms of your local elections. Those are the things that are really going to help us out when we're talking about the climate crisis and talking about trying to reform these policies so that we can get to a place where we're not experiencing forest fires on the regular or people's houses aren't being burned down or people aren't um, in danger of inhaling too much smoke in the air. So I really want you all to be able to pay attention to that. And also, again, as we said multiple times in the beginning of the episode, please practice self-sustainability. Please make sure that you're taking care of yourself. We are going through a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. This year has been crazy and we've been through a lot. So please take some time to yourself. Do something that suits you, that allows you to just sit and check in with yourself and understand that as as far as you keep Um, As long as you keep moving through this, as long as you keep practicing that platonic intimacy that we were talking about earlier, we can make it through. We got this. We got it. Period. So shifting gears, as I close, I want us to take one big inhale and another exhale. So we're going to recenter our energy and I'm going to say this affirmation to close out the episode because I think that it is important for us to acknowledge this. We've had a lot of talks about sustainability and sustaining oneself and rest and, you know, feeling like you need to be the hero. And so this week's affirmation is I am allowed to acknowledge all that makes me human. I give myself permission to weep, to experience sorrow, to laugh or to cry, to make mistakes or to feel failure, to grieve and to praise. And I will recognize my humanness and be submerged in all its glory. So the two things that I want to call out from that affirmation, I am allowed to acknowledge all that makes me human. I will recognize my humanness and be submerged in all its glory. Like, you matter. It's okay to rest. You don't have to be superwoman. You don't have to be superman. You don't have to be Black Panther. You can just be. And that's okay. Because in a world that thrives off of your productivity and your weariness, 
I challenge you to choose peace and to choose rest. With that being said, we thank you for listening to this week's episode of Emotionally Unavailable. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter. And we are just so happy that you guys are loving the podcast and can't wait to share more with you on this journey. Bye, y'all. Yes. Bye. Bye.